Craig Jaseum, thank you, thank you for joining me today. This is going to be fun. Happy to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for all that you do for the owners of our industry and, and for the great support you've had with me personally over the years. I know we we go way back. I mean, it's a it's a few companies now. I think maybe three companies where we work together in a way, but I don't know. I, I kind of stopped counting at some point. I, we age ourselves. That's the problem. We can't we can't do that. We can't do that. I should ask what was your most fun, but I won't make you answer that. Pileshi in G6 is is hard to beat, though. He's a special human being. That was a that was a terrific ride. I was lucky to work alongside him. Uh, I miss him terribly. He's still, uh, you know, at a sister company, but uh, out of the industry, and that's our loss. Uh, I know. He help me. He'll tell everybody. He's still working with Blackstone, but he's in the student housing space now yeah is that a company called acc american campus communities uh based out of austin they do a lot of multifamily around uh college campuses big company and again just sort of helping blackstone bought uh motel six own them he was the ceo you were the coo so operations doing a lot together for i don't know a bunch of years and, yeah. uh, and we helped sort of sell that company off right onesies twosies or fives and tens Big transition. Hunter, uh, it's an asset-like franchisor now. It used to own, you know, several hundred hotels. When I got to the company, it was 350. And today it's, it's pure brand and doing super well. Yeah, uh, I haven't, I mean, I talked to Blackstone guys, but I haven't kept up. But they're doing, they're doing great. And we sold, help me, 300 and whatever properties in almost four years. Only four years. And that was through COVID and the, and the like, right? Yeah, absolutely. I got there. There's about 350 hotels. So yeah, you're, you're you're spot on, and I think all of it was with you. So thank you for your help. Uh, no, thank you for yours. Thank you for the business. Uh, okay, so you all from the COO of uh, of I'm going to help with this transition for everybody of uh, G6, right? Motel Six, owned by Blackstone. Then Blackstone goes in with Starwood Capital and buys ESA, sort of right out of COVID. And they're looking for a good president and you get the nod. They tap you and say, come, tell me how that turned out. Tell me how that came about. Yeah. Look, I had a great time as I, as I mentioned at, at G6, uh, you know, I, I loved it even more than I expected to, uh, you know, first I was there to do owned and managed operations. Like we, we talked about 350 hotels, but ultimately I took on other departments there, designing construction, safety and security, sales and revenue management. Um, and uh, we got a lot done and an unbelievable amount of time, including during COVID. And uh, to me, most of what I came to that company to do, we accomplished. And so it was right around that time that Blackstone and Starwood Capital began finalizing a joint venture to privatize Extended Stay America. And I knew, I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to pan out, but I knew if an opportunity would rise where I could help on that portfolio that I could add a lot of value there. And as the transaction progressed, you know, it became a very logical transition for me. I've been now at ESA coming up on two years and it's, it's an amazing company with terrific people. Give us all, all right, we're going to dive into ESA. There's a lot there. It's the hot segment. Uh, we're going to talk about your operations and franchise and dispositions uh, and the like, but because we always do it, but how did you, who is Greg to see him? We got to know how Greg, who Greg to see him is and how'd you get to this point in your career? Well, I mean, you know, uh, I went to college for this, believe it or not. Um, I, I, I learned from my, my sister, I think when I was a sophomore in high school, that there was 
a college that taught hotel administration. I never heard of that, but I always loved hotels from the time I was six years old. We traveled with uh, my dad sometimes on his business trips. It was sort of like leisure. Uh, we, we had a name for it now. We didn't back then. And I, I really thought that that was an amazing opportunity. Uh, my dad was a lawyer. Uh, my mom was an educator. I thought maybe I'd want to follow in one of their footsteps. But when I heard that there was this hotel thing out there, uh, and, and that friend, my sister had a friend that was at Cornell. Uh, I hadn't heard of Cornell. But uh, as soon as I learned what that was, my mission in life was to get in there. And somehow, I'm not really sure how I did it. And I loved every minute of it. Where'd you grow up? up? Hang on, help, help me. Where'd you grow up? Where, where's, where's that? Where's that accent from? Uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to peg my accent. I, I grew up in Long Island, New York, which normally you can peg that. But I've moved around like every hotel operator. I don't know. I've probably lived in 11 or 12 different places. And you learn over time to just be more neutral. So I, I don't know if you're going to place this accent. It's in there. I've heard it. I have heard the accent. It is in there. Well, we'll get it out at a hockey game later. <laughs> All right, keep going. Sorry. So you get Cornell. I get to Cornell. And it was amazing. Uh, it was everything I thought it would be. Um, you know, most of the people there, at least during my time, were looking very much to be hospitality consultants, some real estate. Real estate, you know, is bigger now than it was, you know, even back then. Yeah. I'm not sure I was smart enough to do any of that. And I was certainly more gravitating toward the people side of the business. So I, I decided that what I wanted to do, I was a marketing major there. And I wanted to do uh, marketing and, and maybe even a little bit of operations. And so that's what I focused on when I was there. And, uh, you know, I had different summer jobs, uh, some very humbling experiences uh, to start off, which I think is great for everybody to do at some point in their life. And, and ultimately found my way uh, after graduating into the marketing side of the business. Where was your first job? So technically, my first W-2 was busting tables at a small resort in Maine that was attached to a seasonal summer camp. Uh, I didn't do it for that long, so I, I, I really almost don't count it. Yeah. But uh, it was a great first experience. The job that people often ask me about or tease me about, you may have heard this, Teague, over the years because it's documented, was I was supposed to be a tennis instructor my sophomore year in college and they called me literally the week before the job was supposed to be to be open for me and they said you know we don't need you there anymore but um we do need an activities coordinator and so we need you to go to myrtle beach they had a uh, they called it a resort but it was really a low rent timeshare and i didn't know what an activities coordinator did but it was pretty it was pretty rough i um i had to teach water aerobics to seniors i had to do arts and crafts with kids. I had to do crabbing, which somebody growing up in New York didn't even, I didn't even know what that was. Uh, so I'd take kids out and we would do that. But but man, I was, I was a solo act and I learned a lot in that gig uh, about what to do and what not to do. And it ultimately was a good experience. I was hoping you were gonna tell that story. Uh, and that reminds me not to challenge you to tennis match. So- uh, <laughs> right, You so can, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, so what was your first job at a, at a Cornell? Yeah, so I went to a place, you'll remember this company. I, I think only industry people might. It was called Bristol Hotels and Resorts. Did oh, yeah. you know that company? Predecessor to Wyndham and the others and others. Yeah, yeah. 
It was related. It was it was um it was founded by um, a, a real estate developer out of Dallas, but it was led by a bunch of Cornell Hotel School guys. And yeah. so they did a lot of recruiting at Cornell. They gave people opportunities at a young age that nowhere else in the industry would you have gotten that opportunity. And so I, I had done an internship with them at a hotel in Dallas at one point. And after graduation, I went there. I, I was a first job was a convention sales manager. And by the way, I was pretty terrible at it. Um, but I did have a bit of a knack I found over time for administration and for strategy. And so I ultimately, I became a director of sales with them. And it was a little bit more at home, I think, in that one. Yeah, I, that, that's an interesting point. I wonder, you know, we all grow up and mature. I wonder when we learn our strengths and weaknesses. You know, when are we a salesperson and when are we uh, operations? When are we an analyst? You know, when are we a manager? When are we not? So I think that's an interesting point. So good for you for learning about yourself as quickly. Well, when you, you know, you, you kind of were forced into it, right? I think, um, you know, young people should take an opportunity as early as they can to sort of figure it out. And this was a company, I was very lucky. I don't know if everybody has this good fortune, but this was a company that really wanted you to fail and to learn from it. And the leaders that I worked for were also young. My my regional sales director, when I became a, a director of sales, I, I was 24. He was 28. Um, it's Keith Barr, um, you know, recently retired CEO of IHG. So my boss was just a few years older than me. And, uh, you know, we all grew up and learned together. Yeah, it's small industry, right? That's what I keep loving. All right, so did the Bristol thing just end on you or did you leave for another job? So ultimately they were bought out. It's part of IHG now. Um, it's, been, it's been a long time. It was uh, 1999 or 2000, whatever it was. So I went over to join Paul Wetzel at Maristar and uh, Paul gave me an opportunity to be a regional sales director. I was young, still 26, and ultimately a VP sales at 28. So Maristar was a growing company, very strong, public read, you remember. Um, and, uh, and, and I grew there. And, and at one point, Bruce Wiles, who you know, um, said to me, why don't you do operations? And I said, well, I'd love to do operations and gave me a chance to be a VP of ops. And, and honestly, I'd, I'd probably still be in sales and marketing if it wasn't for, for that suggestion. But, but uh, Maristar was a great place. Uh, I grew up there, became an SVP of ops, uh, EVP of, of ops for the full service group. And my largest owner at the time was this group that was starting to come out of nowhere, but it was growing very rapidly, uh, was this thing called the Blackstone Group. And all of a sudden, they were just buying hotels left and right. What year and was I was it? one of the operators on their portfolio. So that's how I got introduced to that. What year? What year was that? This is 2006. They bought that year. They bought Maristar, the REIT. They bought Wyndham. They bought La Quinta. And they, they weren't quite there yet, but it wasn't long after they bought Hilton. So it was a, it was a spending spree. And all of a sudden, they were the largest hotel owner you know, in the industry. Um, and uh, it's, of course, you know, even larger than it was uh, then today. But I would not have left Interstate. It became uh, my company had changed from Maristar to Interstate due to a merger. I wouldn't have left that if not for Blackstone. And um, and that's that's where I went. Afterwards. So where'd you go after Interstate? So I got a call from one of my greatest industry mentors, a guy named John Cirielli of Prospect Advisors 
who basically told me that Blackstone was looking to put together a large portfolio, multi-billions of dollars worth of real estate for upscale select service hotels, right? So Hamptons, Courtyard, Residence Inns, those kind of things. And they were looking for somebody to lead asset management and to help them acquire these hotels and put together uh, this apparatus that would sort of sit outside of Blackstone, but would be helpful. And uh, so, you know, that was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. I'd been 13 years at Interstate and uh, having a chance to build something uh, alongside that group and, uh, and, and grow my experiences. I mean, I think anybody would have taken that. Yeah. Amen. So what'd you help them with? Did you help them in their BRE Select or? We did. We, over time, um, did over 20 different investments and pieced together 250 hotels. I say over time, literally like in, in two or three years, it, it went fast. And uh, it was going well. So we ultimately merged it with a sister company that uh, had all the iconic resorts, right? So Del Coronado and Grand Wailea and Biltmore and these kind of properties. And so we smushballed the, the iconic resorts with the select service company and named it BRE Hotels and Resorts, which, you know, is a commercial name today. But we literally came up with that. I was its first CEO, which was an amazing honor and a dream job. And uh, it was terrific. And what years was this, roughly? Oh, they all run together. Yeah. Um, I, I got to look at it. Yes, but I, I think this all started around 2013, 2014. It went to like 2018. We did an unbelievable amount in a very short period of time. And we're getting deep, but strategic, the strategic hotel investment from Blackstone was in there somewhere. The uh, They bought a bu Apple 6. They bought a bunch. Uh, and at one point in there, it was sort of Blackstone, Starwood Capital, and North Star that were gobbling up everything they could get their hands on, right? In that 13, 14, 15 coming out of GFC. We actually didn't have much to do with strategic. Um, they, were, they were sort of a sister portfolio company. Um, but we were in touch with them. We worked on some models together in terms of trying to uh, advance the portfolio uh, reporting apparatus. It was great. I mean, it was uh, it was wonderful. The only thing that I was missing there, I felt, was uh, we were just owners of hotels, and there were plenty of hotels to keep us busy. But we didn't manage, and we weren't we were franchisees of brands, but we weren't a brand. And so for me. Um, I loved every minute of that job. I would do that job again in a heartbeat, but uh, there were some things that I was missing a bit and I was able to get into that when I ultimately went over to G6, as we discussed earlier. Yeah, what made you decide to go there? Pileshi talk you into it or Blackstone? <laughs> Rob is pretty persuasive, but I, I do think it was an opportunity to be an owner, a brand and a management company, right? There are only so many uh, companies of scale in our industry where you, you can do all three things. And even if they're, different entities uh, or different teams leading it, where you can have your hands in all of that. The ability to pull different levers to solve problems to me has always been very appealing. And G6 gave me that. It was my first time leading a brand. And um, I, it was irreplaceable knowledge that I gained from Rob and the amazing team that's there. So that's a great transition. So that brings you to where you are today, right? So ESA, same thing. One of the really few uh, companies left that own, operate, and franchise, right? That's right. I mean, it's it's exactly, you know, I just gave you a lot of career history. And, and you see, I did some branding. I did uh, franchising from brands. I was I was a, an owner's rep. I was an operator. I had marketing. I had all these wonderful experiences, right? And where can you put all that together 
is only in a few companies, and ESA is one of them. In fact, you know, most people don't realize it's the largest REIT and lodging space in, in North America by unit count. It's one of the largest management companies anywhere, and it's a sizable pioneering brand. So it's a, it's a huge opportunity, and it's a job that keeps me and I think would keep anybody all right, so give me. Let's go. Let's let's start talking through those three things. But uh, how many how many hotels does ESA own now? Six hundred and something. Yeah, so we're we're just north of six hundred in terms of what we own and manage. Uh, the portfolio overall is about seven fifty when you look at owned and managed and the franchise estates growing as uh, many many of the hotel brands are these days. So yeah, we happen to be the largest owner operator, and uh, you know that's different than most brands because. We have to eat our own cooking, right? If we're going to create a brand standard, we have to do it ourselves many hundred times over. So, uh, yeah, we're doing a little bit of all of that. But the franchise is, is a growing segment of the business. I think you're going to see rapid growth over the next three to five years. And maybe hopefully one day we can be something like 50-50. Um, all right. I want, to, I want to keep on operations. What are you seeing out there? I mean, if you don't, if you own 600 and something and control 750 what, what are you seeing out there in the world specific to let's just say not even esa but but segment of the business yep. that i'm in i'm thankful that we didn't have the volatility that others had to experience during covid i mean it, the worst time in the history of the u.s lodging industry i my heart was breaking for you know the the, the convention hotels yeah uh, you know the leisure hotels ultimately did just fine. Uh, there were there were some really rough moments there, but if you were an urban hotel, um, luckily for us, on a relative basis, uh, life was easier. Uh, we didn't have to close any hotels during COVID or lay anybody off. Um, you know, the hotels ran fairly steady occupancy. There was a slight decline for a minute, but it has been very very steady. And so I think you know these days, uh, thankful is a word that I can use. And all of us, whether it's Extended Stay America or others that do what we do, are literally just trying to build on that. We're, you know, we're fortunate we have a pretty lean staffing model, so things are fairly efficient. But we're trying to make sure that we can maximize the revenues that are coming out these days. You know, the trends are, are pretty choppy at the moment, but there's unbelievable light at the end of the tunnel here with the infrastructure package with the leisure trend, with the work from home trend that is allowing people to travel and work from hotels instead of being tethered to an office. So there's a lot of tailwinds, I think, for our segments, and particularly at the mid-scale and economy segment. Uh, and so that's what I'm seeing. I mean, fairly steady today, but I'm very, very hopeful for even more demand in the future. Yeah, I think that's what everybody saw. That's why they're all jumping into it right now, right? I mean, you brought the GFC earlier, like, coming out of that everybody kind of learned that select service performed really well so that's where everybody wanted to be so that's why blackstone and the big boys jumped in and now they like they saw the extended stay segment perform so strongly during covid so that everyone says that's where i want to be i mean everybody's announcing a new extended stay brand and, and let's right. be honest nobody loves new competition we're not like jumping up and, and down for it but I do think it's it's an amazing time we're having a moment in the segment where people are beginning to give it its due Lenders finally are recognizing that it's the steadiest of the bets that they can make. Fiduciaries, for the first time, really have no choice but to consider investing in it. Maybe in the past, you know, it's not the sexiest segment of the industry, but if you're investing uh, as a fiduciary, you have to really be looking at extended stay 
and particularly in the economy in mid-scale segments where the steadiest of demand was during the roughest time. And so I, I think those are some of the things that that we're seeing. And it's, of course, because this segment performs at about 10 points of occupancy above the broader industry. That's why new people are coming in. And so it's hard to fault anybody for, for wanting to get in on the action at this point. You think they're going to love it like you guys do? I mean, again, I'm just Hilton, Marriott, IHG, Choice, Hyatt, everybody's announcing sort of a new extended state brand. They're actually announcing tons of brands, but everybody's jumping in. What, what else are they going to learn that you guys already know? Well, I think the biggest, it, well, there's a lot, there's a lot there. I mean, uh, the segment doesn't, we don't have enough time in the segment, but yeah, I, I, I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing that's happening today is everybody's making announcements. Everybody's putting out press releases that sound very, very similar. Um, the marketing people are great in our industry, but it's causing a little bit of confusion. We're, we're making up terms like, uh, what are the ones that you hear? Premium economy, that's not a thing. Like, that's an oxymoron. Or affordable mid-scale, uh, you're seeing a lot of that. Uh, I'm not sure what any of those things mean. I, I think when uh, you really want to look at the various brands that you mentioned, you really have to look at the details. You got to look at the prototypes. You got to look at the cost to build and finance. You got to look at the operating models that they're requiring, um, the finishes, and all of the details to really figure out who is really going to fall into what lane. And I, I think, um, you know, certainly relative to Extended Stay America, that's purely economy and mid-scale, most of the newest brand entrants that are requiring new build, newly constructed hotels with fancy prototypes and pretty expensive operating models for extended stay. I think what we're going to find is, even though they're saying they're going to come in at, say, an $80 or $90 price point, that a lot of that doesn't pencil. Those hotels with those build costs at this moment in time are probably $105 to $120 ADRs. And I suspect will be more playing out as upper mid-scale or in even some cases in certain markets, upscale hotels. And so it's it's going to be a little bit different than what uh, ESA and some of the folks that are purely at the mid and lower segments uh, are seeing, but it's going to take owners a minute to sort of figure that out. So I'm, I'm hoping they're really doing the due diligence to try to figure out what the differences are between brands, because I think they're pretty substantial differences. Do, do you think they're going to, or you think they're going to sort of find out the hard way? Hey, we thought this was a mid-market and we overbuilt the thing, over-designed it. Right. And so now we're really an upscale asset that we didn't mean to be. It's it's too early to tell. But I, I can tell you that, you know, I, and I speak to owners every day, people that want to understand the nuances between these different brands. And from everything that I can see so far, there is a percentage of people that just don't get that. And um, if you don't have the ultra long stay guest, people staying for months and then maybe in some cases a year or two, not uh, days and in some cases a week or two you are not going to be able to run the operating model that has been the hallmark of extended stay. Uh, real true extended stay hotels can run with somewhere between eight and 10 staffers. If you're really doing more transient business days and weeks, not months and years, you're going to have 20 or 25, you're really more of a transient hotel. And so some people will learn that the hard way. I'm hoping most uh, will do the due diligence, we'll talk to the various brand leaders, um, and we'll do the math. Because I think for, for most hotel investors, they're pretty savvy people. And uh, the early ones in might get a little bloody, but over time, I think people are going to figure it out. And I'll tell you one, one other thing that comes to mind. 
which I've learned at Extend Stay America uh, that maybe I hadn't seen as clearly coming into this brand, which is that the higher occupancy extended stay hotels, the ones with the real good length of stay, where 80% of the people are staying for many, many weeks or, or months on end, are the ones that have a good mix of corporate transient demand, leisure transient demand, and what I call a sort of transitional business. People that are between addresses, not in a position at the moment to sign a long-term apartment lease, uh, maybe just a little bit unsure of what they're doing next and are going to hunker down in a hotel until they can figure it out. Those guests are very, very price sensitive. And so if, you, if you're forced to, to build the hotel expensively and operate it expensively, your price point is not going to be acceptable to those guests. And therefore, you're not really going to be a true extended stay hotel. And so that price sensitivity, I, I would just say the steadiest demand is driven by affordability. And, and some of these brands are going to have a hard time understanding that until they're in this for a year or two. But it will all sort itself out. There's plenty of demand. There's only 10% of the extended stay uh, supply today. And I think, frankly, the more guests get exposed to long-stay hotels, the more people are going to love it because the rooms are bigger. They have full kitchens, so they have full control of their diet. They uh, can check in and check out with, with low friction, no lease. And in many cases, the price is lower. So people will get exposed to this type of segment for all the brands. It will grow the pie for everybody. And I think in the end, it's going to be just perfectly fine for all. That's very fascinating. There's a lot in there that I'm thinking about. Uh, I really am. Uh, part of it is the developer used to be sort of a localized developer, owner, operator, something in there. And now this particular subsection has, seems to have become more institutionalized. Certainly Blackstone and Starwood, uh, Wood Springs and, you know, uh, Brookfield own in. Where do you think, what do you think the future is? Is it owner, is it local developer or is it institutional? I think it's it's become a lot more acceptable for institutional folks to get right. into the space. And the newer brand entrants, the ones that are coming in with the household names, uh, are, it's going to give a lot of comfort, I believe, to, to lenders and to institutional folks. Um, and that's great. I, I think they're going to go in with the big brand conglomerates at the higher end, and they're going to do a bunch of these, and and that's cool. But I, I think it's going to be bifurcated a bit from the local and regional owner operators, many of which truly do understand economy and mid-scale. And they may be more of a match for some of the brands that are traditionally in the economy and mid-scale space. It's hard to see how it's going to play out. We today have more of our ownership is institutionally based. So I think ESA can be a bit of a crossover between institutional and local regional owner operators. So I don't know. It feels to me I'm biased. We're, we're in a sweet spot where we can appeal to, to, to both, but I'm not so sure that would be the case for the others. Yeah. I, you know, do you need a brand? I mean, that's a big question for mid-market economy extended stay. Do you need a brand? If I'm coming to stay for 30, 60, 90 days, do I, do I need the brand? Am I trying to collect points? Yeah. I, I, that's, you know, that's a question that has, I mean, T, you know, as well as anybody, that's a question that, has been around for a very, very long time in the smaller hotels. And, and that's why more of America's hotels are unbranded than branded. Um, for me, I think, I think it's okay to have a brand. I mean, I certainly think if the brand has the ability 
and the focus on the extended stay segment. Like take my company for an example. All we do is extended stay. We've been doing it for 30 years. All of our clients are extended stay clients. All of our programs and systems and software and all of our training is dedicated, only dedicated to extended stay. We're not a transient brand conglomerate masquerading as an extended stay brand. So we have, in my view, uh, and in our franchisees' view for sure, a whole lot to offer. But there does have to be engagement by the operators and the franchise partners to go find some local business. It does not all come from a centralized booking source. Uh, any brand is not going to necessarily notice the construction site that popped up around the corner because crane was delivered on Monday. So I think, you know, the right answer to me, I think, is some combination of both. You cannot solely rely on the brand. But if you only do things locally, you're going to miss out on the amazing scale and the client relationships that companies like Extend Stay America can bring to the table. Yeah, I'm, you guys are cheating, right? I'm 750 hotels. We've been doing it 20 plus years. So, you know, coming from a, from a position of strength, I would think. But let's talk through your franchise program. I know you're doing dispositions right now. We're helping you with some of those. Uh, which, you know, I mean, we should brag on, like, what are these things trading at? I'm going to let you answer. I know the answer, but how are you seeing these things trading? This is uh, a program that we have that's right for us at this moment in time. We are embarking, you know, with over 600 hotels uh, that we own and operate, uh, we are embarking on a capital investment program to do a, a cycle renovation in what I believe will be the years 2025, 2026, and 2027. We have a lot of hotels to renovate. And there's not enough time to do it sometimes. We have hotels that have been great for us for a long period of time. And we very strategically want to grow our franchise business. So we have the opportunity now, especially now that we have three brands from which franchise partners can choose, which can pretty much put them in any market where they can build an extended stay hotel and make the math pencil, where we can accelerate that by, by selling them some of our properties. And so we're doing that. Uh, through you and others, uh, and, and so far so good. We would we would have stopped if we weren't uh, liking how it's going. But it's more than just you know selling assets uh, and getting you know good pricing and those kind of things. For us, it's a very strategic opportunity to introduce our brand to more franchise partners who I think once they see this model and have it in their system for six months or twelve months or whatever it is, are going to be absolutely coming back for more. And so that's why we we've, we've developed these other brands. And think that there's a huge white space for ESA to grow uh, with, you know, in capital investment, institutional or local, beyond what we can do on our But I think you're doing a great job of, again, I'm going to call it cheating. We'll say these assets, you're going to fall in love with the brand. You're going to go build, buy, convert new assets into ESAs. And that's how you're going to grow, accelerate your franchise community. Yeah. I mean, we're getting younger because of it. We have, uh, yeah. you know, I'm getting ahead here probably, but we have, you know, 70 new build premier suites in the pipeline. These are hotels that are under contract and, and being developed, right? Literally uh, various stages, they are going to happen and it's going to make a 30 year old brand even younger, even more relevant. It's going to expose us to new markets where we haven't been in uh, a very modern way. And it's going to give us a North Star as we renovate our current hotels uh, to emulate. And so it's it's all very exciting. I, I can't think of one sector of the business where there isn't something exciting going on that we're excited to announce. 
and just remind me for everybody who they don't know, but now you got your three tiers. Uh, to give me a quick on those. Yeah, the very down and dirty. There's our, our uh, iconic 28-year-old Extended Stay America Sweets brand. That's the brand that we have that literally straddles economy and mid-scale. It's the one that your viewers will know and love and have seen uh, on many street corners. And two, uh, three years ago, we launched a, a brand that is a step up from that. It's called Extended Stay America Premier Sweets. It's a little bit at the higher end of mid-scale, uh, $25-ish difference in price point. Most of them are new build hotels. We ourselves have, have built or renovated 31 hotels with our own dime into that uh, brand and it's going great. That's the 70 plus hotels that I just mentioned are also gonna be coming in. And then last year, literally a year ago now, uh, we did an acquisition and put roughly a hundred hotels into a step down brand, a pure economy extended stay brand. Think the longest stay guest that you could possibly get. They're just looking for a room only at a great price with full kitchens, almost like an apartment-like atmosphere. And that brand is called Extended Stay America Select Suites. We have a hundred of those, literally only been launched a year ago. And we have instant scale and it's it's growing with conversions uh, like crazy. And I, I think there's a long, long runway for that brand as well. So you gotta be very excited about now having three segments rather than just one segment as 20 years of history. Yeah, we were missing out on it. I mean, we thought, I don't know, going back, I guess, you know, time, you learn over time that extended stay lodging is just this one segment. And so now we have these three three tiers that are even more than $10 apart on, on the average. And they really are different customers. We were just missing out on it. And so now we can go anywhere. We can go into a tertiary market with our pure economy brand and the mass still works. We can go into a primary market with our premier a brand and the mask works. And so it's like whatever the owner desires, as long as there's white space for it, we have an option. Yeah. I, I uh, again, I think you got a lot of wind at your back uh, and you guys are going to accelerate into it and you're a good leader. Thank you for that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And again, uh, thanks for everything you do in our industry. Uh, you know, you know, everybody and everybody knows you because they appreciate and respect the work you're doing and you can count me in the fan club as well. Oh, I love it. You're kind. Uh, we're doing. We love the industry. We're giving back. We're doing what we can every day. Greg Jaciem, CEO, Extended Stay America. Thanks for joining me, my friend. You're a good man. Likewise. Have a great week. You too. Bye.